Good morning, Eastside family. We'll let kids in junior worship fourth through third grade head in that direction. The rest of you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12. But before we jump into our text today, we want to remind you of a very important aspect of our worship assembly, and that is our offering that we bring before God. We do not pass the trays, but we offer four different ways for you to make your offering. It's an important part of your worship to God. You can mail a check to the church address. You can go online to our website, which has all kinds of great information there. And on the home page there, there's a give button. Click on that and follow the instructions. You can send a bank automatic draft through your bank, or you can go right back there to that table on your way out. And there's a basket for those of you that are with us here in person. For those of you that are with us uh, live streaming, absolutely, absolutely delighted to have you with us this morning. You're just as much a part of this church family as those of us that are here in person. And we are honored, absolutely honored that, that you would join us this morning. We are in Luke chapter 12. And I want to start out as I read this story. It reminded me, Karen, Karen my wife and I, we are teaching our, our preschool and kindergarten Sunday school class right now. And one day, Miss Karen was teaching and she was teaching about the story of Jesus turning water to wine and as she was teaching the story of Jesus turning water to wine one of the kids raised his hands and he said Miss Karen Miss Karen have you seen Encanto that's a children's movie like what's that got to do with Jesus turning water to wine another day we were we were teaching the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert Hand went up. Miss Karen said, yes. She, the little boy said, I saw Star Wars last night. We were talking about, I think it was the story of little boy Jesus when he was 12 years old in the temple when he had gotten lost. A hand went up. Oh, oh, I, 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 I got a stuffed unicorn yesterday. And you know, that's kind of common and it's cute and it's expected of our little children, but it's not so cute, and it shows a great deal of immaturity is when adults do it. As we see Jesus experienced here with what I would call a non-sequitur, it just came out of the blue while Jesus was in the middle of teaching. Now, the setting is quite fascinating here. In chapter 12, in verse 1, we, we read here of Luke chapter 12, in, in the book of Luke. It says, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands, you could literally translate that 10,000. You just see the crowds. Thousands are there. They had gathered, so they were trampling on one another. So imagine that. And Jesus began to speak, and you keep reading from verses 1 through 12, and you see that Jesus is teaching these very important and uh, deep spiritual truths. And right in the middle of Jesus teaching these truths, someone in the crowd just yells out. And it's like he had not even been paying attention at all, totally unrelated to what Jesus had been teaching. He says in verse 13, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so Jesus allows for the detour. He replies to this man, but, he, but as he always does, he sees below the surface and he cuts straight, straight to the, the, the very heart and the core of what was happening. Jesus replied in verse 14. 
man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's absolutely amazing how an inheritance can bring out the worst in people, even among family members. And as Jesus shows here, how it can reveal greed. Or as some of our translations have it, it can reveal covetousness. Jesus warns of it with the words, watch out, be on your guard. And so if you've been paying attention here in this passage, earlier he also gave a warning in verse 1. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So twice he's warned this audience, there are things that you need to watch out for. There are things that will hurt your life. There are things that will, will hurt your faith. And one of, the, one of the greatest dangers to the Christian life is greed. The Apostle Paul gives a similar warning in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. These are powerful words. He says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. Listen to this. That plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, that's greed, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager, that's another expression for greed, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed, which is a little bit earlier here in Luke, we see in that sower and the seed, he talks about how it is greed that can just choke out the life of a follower of Jesus. When you pull all the way back to the Old Testament and you think of all of the commandments that God could have included in his top ten commandments, one of them is thou shalt not covet. Another word for greed. And you could define greed as a, as a thirst for more. A hunger to get what you don't yet have, which can be a problem for anyone regardless of how much you have. And so if you consider yourself not to be a rich person, don't turn yourself off and say, this doesn't apply to me. Jesus' message here also speaks to you. It speaks to all of us. Jesus defines greed in verse 15 as a philosophy that life consists in the abundance of of possessions. My identity is based upon what I have. My, my stability, my security, my happiness is based on what I have. I would suggest that if we look around us, we see signs of greed and, and, and from that economic foolishness that is plunging families, individuals, and possibly even our nation into ruin and destruction. It's dangerous. Do you know that marriage councils will tell you that the number one cause for divorce are issues over finance? It's mine. Or what's yours? Or what's ours? And so to, to drive home this very important warning of greed, Jesus then teaches this very powerful parable in verse 16. 
The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there, there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. What's wrong with greed? I mean, really, what's wrong with wanting more? In this parable, I think we find two characteristics of the dangers of greed. Let me share them with you. First of all, greed is defined by egocentrism is what I'm calling this. It's defined by, you would call that self-centeredness. The guy in this story, he never saw beyond himself. Take a look at the pronouns in verses 17 through 19. There's six eyes and four mys. I, 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 I. My, 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 my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, myself. Self is the center of his existence. Not God, not others. This is idolatry, with an emphasis on the I. In verse 19, I'll say to myself, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This is, this is hedonism, which is the life philosophy that the highest gain, all that you go for is self-pleasure, self-indulgence, not pleasing God, not pleasing others. It's all about pleasing me. In verse 20, Jesus speaks of what you have prepared for yourself. In verse 21, he speaks of whatever stores up things, whoever stores up things for themselves. I heard it once said of a woman named Edith. She lived in a little world of her own where she was bounded on the north, the south, the east, and the west by Edith. Her world was geocentric. It revolved around her. That's greed. That's this man. Secondly, greed is defined by what I'm calling geocentrism in the sense that he never saw beyond himself, but secondly, he never saw beyond this world. Everything in the universe, everything in his life, it all circled around life here on this earth. And so you read this story and you see that he, he had a great harvest, which, which really wasn't wrong. Contrary to popular belief today, there, there's really nothing wrong with working hard and being successful. It's really a question of what you do with what you had. And so he took what he had and he'd earned and he built bigger barns to store up for his life things here on this earth. Now, I haven't, I haven't done research on this but it's my observation that one of the biggest or fastest growing industries in our city are storage units. It's like they're just popping up all over the city. And call a place and try to reserve one. They're already occupied. Our city is ever growing with storage units coming up all over the city. And they're filled with things that we're storing up. Filled with things that, that 
most of the time we never look at, most of the time we never use, but we have to have a storage unit because we don't have enough room in our homes. Why do we not have enough room in our homes? You know, one of the things that, that gets on my nerves, that in, if you're a neighbor, a, do forgive me, I guess I would say, but it's a pet peeve of mine, is cars all over the street. You can't drive in my neighborhood barely at all because my streets are a parking lot and maybe you can get a little one lane. Everybody's parking on the street. Why, isn't pe- why aren't people parking in their garage? The garage doors go open and you discover why they aren't. Because their garages, not only are their storage units, but their garages are filled with stuff. Now I'm starting to get on your nerves. <laughs> the man in this story... I think he would have been a star on the reality TV show Hoarders. Why is that such a popular show? Because it too much reflects our lives, which likely too much reflects the man here in Jesus' story. But of this egocentric and geocentric man, God said to him, I cannot imagine God saying this to me, you fool. You see, there's, there's two things. There's two things that are wrong with a life that does not see beyond yourself and that does not see beyond life here on this earth. First of all, it blinds you to God, as Jesus states in verse 21. Whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. God is not regarded. God is not in the center. God is not considered. God is not seen because all he could see was himself. But secondly, such a life philosophy blinds us to eternal life in heaven because all we can see is life here on this earth, which is temporal. He had worked hard. He had stored up so much in his life. He was ready to retire. He retired early. And he died that very night unexpectedly and now all that he had he no longer had and it was left for someone else you know the writer in Ecclesiastes says that's one of the vanities of life how many times have we heard the story of someone who worked so hard saved up so much and retired only to have a heart attack and then die. Like, what's, what's all that for? What was it for? King David, this is a beautiful, I would encourage you to read this at home. He wrote in Psalm 39, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath. Even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Where is your hope? Now, as you perhaps have noticed, 
We have once again, we're supposed to be just walking chapter by chapter through Luke, but I keep jumping ahead into uh, passages later on in Luke. And we've done this again for a a four-part series. It's going to be two lessons in chapter 12 and two lessons in chapter 16 for a mini-series that I have entitled Jesus Kingdom Economy. And the reason I'm doing this for this series now is because this is the time of the year when when we present to you, our church family, our annual budget. And so I decided, rather than just having a cold budget um, presentation, I wanted to share some biblical passages to set the stage for um, this presentation. And also, it's, it's incredibly needed and relevant for us to look at these passages in Scripture. So as a way of taking this parable we've looked at and having a practical application, I'm going to briefly share with you a little bit about our Eastside family budget. And if you're thinking, seriously? I came to church to hear about that. I came to church to hear about spiritual things. Let me tell you, the greatest indicator of spiritual things in your life is where you are with God and your finances. This parable shows us that your physical stuff and all that you earn, all that you have, it is embedded and threaded into your spiritual life as well. Now, if you're a ministry leader, you've already received the the budget budget the annual budget from us but if you're if you're not a ministry leader we feel like it's important to make that available to you as well and we're making it available to you in two ways there is a table right out here and it's got a sign that says annual budget and we've got paper copies for you to pick up or you can contact Sarah in our office and she'll make a copy available for you as well it is important to us for three reasons for me to take time to share this with you first of all because it is important for the the transparency that the sake of transparency with the finances of our church that that everybody knows hey this is what's up this is what's going on but secondly so that you can know that when you contribute your funds generously as so many of you are doing this is where your money is going and thirdly to motivate those of us who aren't giving as we should to to really reconsider stepping up and 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 giving as far as giving is concerned I just want to say on the behalf of the elders I want to say thank you thank you for your your giving regularly faithfully and sacrificially your faithfulness to God in this church family And it's a really important aspect of worship. That's what we call our offering, our worship. It is incredibly appreciated. As I I share with you the Eastside budget, I want you to understand there are four entities that put this together. It is our elders, our shepherds, our finance committee, our, our governance council, and our bookkeeper. And having these four entities involved in the budget process, it not only provides a really good system of checks and balances, but it shows you the detailed care and diligence that goes into making sure we're wise and responsible stewards of the money you donate to God and the church. Now, before I go into a a few details, and I'm not going to get very detailed at all, I want to address two important questions or areas that, that you may be wondering about. First of all, just to let you know up front, the current balance as of this week on our mortgage is $634,042. And that may seem like a lot, but I remember seven and a half years ago 
hearing that it was 1.6 million. That is a significant decrease that we're very grateful for. Now, what we need is for someone to write us a check in that amount to pay it off. <laughs> and I'm serious. Maybe you're watching and it's out there. Here's another question that comes up. Well, what about the school? What about PPCS? So let me just share with you how they fit into our finances. First of all, understand PPCS, Pikes Peak Christian School, is a ministry of our church. PPCS pays 50% of the mortgage, 57% of the mortgage, 50% of facility operating costs, 35% of utilities, 100% of field water and stormwater fees, and 100% of the daytime facility maintenance salaries and benefits. Huge share that they carry. And I hope you've been paying attention. And I hope that you've been noticing that God is using this school that is a ministry of our church to lead people to faith in Christ. I hope you understand that it's my observation because I'm up here. This is a place where the gospel is being proclaimed every day to 393 children that are enrolled right now and they're expecting an even greater enrollment in the fall and this is also touching all the parents who are connected with this as well there's an incredible Christian atmosphere and a great Christian education that is happening within the walls of this building so we're thankful for our school now as far as our actual budget for this year is concerned the anticipated expenses in our budget, what we need to, to keep these lights on and everything else is 950979 not 80, 81, or 78. I told you, it's detailed. We've worked hard on this, dollars. And if we're going to meet this budget, then that means our weekly budget, our weekly contributions need to be $15,385 a week. And when you compare this to last week's giving, this means we need an increase of 8.8% in giving per week. And so in order for us to see this increase, we would ask that you would consider making an increase in your regular offering. So the question is, well, where does the money go? Right there. Is that not the most spine-tingling sermon slide you have ever seen? So this morning, we're going to walk through this line item. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Go pick it up over there, all right? But keep that, keep that up there so those of you with good eyesight can read through it. I'm just going to give you a little bit, a little taste of, of, of what you're looking at. When you contribute to the Eastside family, your funds are going towards ministries in areas of throughout the world, such as Angola, Africa, Guatemala, Native, our Native American ministry in South Dakota. We got some folks there working right now. It's going to Zambia and Mexico. And these are where we have ministries where the gospel of Jesus is being proclaimed, where we are seeing souls won to Christ, where people who are impoverished are getting health care and love and where orphans are being touched in very powerful ways. Your donated funds are not only going to places globally, but they're also going towards local community missions and outreaches here in Colorado Springs that are helping people have a place to stay who can't afford it any longer, have a meal to eat and have clothes to wear. You're helping children be located in foster homes who are facing incredible abuse. 
In all of these community programs that we're a part of, they're also opening doors, as we have seen, of the gospel going into people's lives as well. Our family care budget that's up here on the screen, it makes it possible for us to care for those of us here in our church family who go through hard times. Your contributed funds also go towards supporting local ministry staff who, who oversee ministries to children of uh, people of all ages, to young children, to, 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 to our student ministry, and to our adult ministry as well. And obviously a portion of our donated funds, they go to this building, go to the mortgage. Our, your funds go to the upkeep and maintenance of this building. And some of you probably have a problem with that because sometimes we hear that. I don't want the money I contribute going to a building or HVACs, or I want my money to go into people, into to spiritual needs. I, I'll just tell you this. I wonder if there is a church building in this city. I wonder if there is a church building in this state that is used as much as this one for God's eternal purposes in the lives of other people. It's incredible what happens here. I get to see it. Most of you don't on Sundays. This building in this location, and I love this term. I'd like for us to change the name of our church. This is a, the city on a hill. And as Jesus speaks of in Matthew, it's a powerful instrument that we are seeing many physical and spiritual needs that, that are being met. I remember one time we did a budget proposal like this one time, and someone says, I don't think I want to give anymore because you mentioned you're going to be giving X amount of dollars to your sound system. I'm not giving my money to a sound system. I care about giving my money to people. But you got to understand, the money that goes to the sound system is helping people hear, even those with the headphones on. That is for people to hear the message of Christ. Our audio-visual, I'm, I'm not picking on them, I'm just using them as an example. Our audio-visual budget is making it possible right now for these people through that camera to hear and to see us and to be a part of this ministry through the technology of live streaming. We so appreciate Todd and, and the ministry that he leads there with this. In, in, in this... Yeah. I wish you could see what I see. Every week, I see this auditorium with kids in it. One example, uh, there are kids who are young kids who are in this, in this auditorium every week, and they're hearing this, this year, a school year, as a matter of fact, a series on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means for their lives. And the reason they're able to be in here, the reason we're able to be in here right now, is because the ceiling is actually, the roof is not leaking. The lights are on. The heat is running. The carpet is cleaned. The chairs have been cleaned as well. Six months ago, someone was at home, never been here before. He just typed into Google search, churches nearby. Our church showed up. He got in the car. He drove onto our parking lot, got out, walked into our building, sat down in one of our rooms that are maintained, and over a series of weeks and months studied the gospel and was baptized here. I see and witness broken and hurting and lost people driving to our parking lot. And I see them getting out of their car and they're not tripping and falling over because we repaired our parking lot or because someone plowed the snow and they didn't slip on the ice 
I see them walk through the doors that are broken and had to be repaired or maintained. I see them walk on the floor that had to be uh, repaired and laminated. I see them not bumping into the walls because the lights are on. I see, well, I don't see them, but they go to our bathroom facilities. <laughs> we got cameras everywhere. <laughs> the lights are on in the bathroom. How handy. Supplies are there. Things are in working order. And it's here that people come literally to pour out their hearts. And they are prayed with. And they are given biblical counsel. Because there are many of you who contribute regularly to make those eternal moments happen. That's what that boring sheet <laughs> is all about. And I don't have time to go on any further with throughout this sheet. But I can only share with you this. I can confidently tell you. That when you contribute to our East Side family, you are in countless ways. You are being, as Jesus said in this parable, rich toward God. You are investing in eternity. And so as we do this broad look at the congregation and our budget and our expenses, and we do that for the sake of openness and transparency, I think then in turn what needs to happen when we go home is to, to take an honest open and transparent look at our personal lives because the finances of our church as a whole, it's, it's, it's a composite of each one of us as individuals. As Jesus showed us in this parable, the economies of this world, they're built upon two principles. Egocentrism. Self-centeredness. It's all about me. Geocentrism, it all revolves around life on this earth. Now, now, perhaps you remember, some of you do, at school, how it was the second century astronomer and mathematician, Ptolemy, who, who's the one who, who suggested this geocentric uh, model where all in the solar system revolves around the earth. And then centuries later, I should ask our students, 13 centuries later, I think it was Copernicus who said, no, Ptolemy was wrong. Our world, our solar system is heliocentric. The sun is in the center. The solar system revolves around the sun. Well, long before Ptolemy, long before Copernicus, Jesus was telling us that the world revolves around the sun. But not S-U-N, but S-O-N meaning the Son of God. You see, church, the undergirding principle of Jesus' kingdom economy is theocentrism. God-centered. God in the center of my life. Everything, this is Jesus' kingdom economy, where everything revolves around God. So let me ask you, what principle is guiding your life your finances, and your possessions. Here's a really practical take-home piece of advice. Let me just take the world's model and flip it backwards. Here's what I would suggest in following this parable that you do. You give first, you save second, you live on the rest. Give first to God. That's a practical example. There was an elderly man and he asked a teenager, he said to the teenager, what are you doing? The teenager said, well, I'm, I'm studying in high school. Well, okay, well, 
what will you do after that? And he says, well, I'm going to further my career, my, my education after high school because I want to get a career. Okay, well, what are you going to do after that? Well, then I'm going to get my job and I'm going to work. Well, then what? Well, I'm going to buy a house and a nice car. Okay, well, then what? Well, maybe, maybe I'll get married and have kids. Okay, well, well then what? Well, then I'll probably have to buy a bigger car and a bigger house. Okay. Well, well then what? Well, then I'll, I'm going to work really hard to provide for my family and save for retirement. Okay. Then what? Then I'm going to enjoy retirement. Okay. Then what? I guess I'll die. Okay. Then what? Jesus says earlier in Luke, earlier in Luke, as he speaks of disciples, what sh- discipleship, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? God calls the man in Jesus' parable a fool because his hope was in himself and in this world and not in God. Jim Elliott was a missionary who lost his life in 1956 at the age of 28. He was killed at the hands of the native folks who lived in Ecuador at that time in a very primitive area in his attempts to take the gospel of Christ to these people. Years earlier, before he went to Ecuador, he wrote these words in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So, uh, if you want to summarize all of today's lesson into four words, it would be these words Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Let's stand and pray. Father, take these words that have been spoken in general and personalize them, individualize them into our hearts and let us know how you're speaking to us in very personal and very individual ways. Show us what needs to change. Show us how we can live our lives seeking you first in all that we do. Father, if we were all very transparent and honest, we would admit that many of us here are struggling with some huge financial burdens and struggles. And so in this moment of prayer, we bring those burdens and struggles before you. We seek your guidance and your wisdom. And as we enter into this time of of prayer through this song, I want to Uh, ask our shepherds to be available to go and pray with you if there's a need that you have reach out to them go up to them or let them come to you or if you know someone this morning that is in need of prayer in need of your hug and encouragement let's take this time truly to be a house of prayer hey i'm eddie white the senior minister for the east side church of christ sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast i hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. 
And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.